Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. A band is like a plant. No, wait, wait, I I need you to stay with me on this because, uh, well, you'll see where this is going. Like a plant, a band grows from seeds to maturity, bursts forth with new seeds, and then eventually withers and dies. It's the whole cycle of life thing, you know? But like plants or animals or any other living thing, the lifespan of bands varies greatly. You could last as long as one rehearsal, kind of like a, a dandelion. Or you might find yourself on some kind of 50-year anniversary tour, the equivalent of, I guess, a bristlecone pine tree that can live as long as 5,000 years. Okay, I think we've tortured this metaphor long enough. Uh, Then we have bands that form, rise to a peak, hit something of a downhill slope, and break up, only to reform again for, uh, well, there could be any number of reasons. And this leads into a completely new second act. And thus, things begin anew, and maybe even under better circumstances than anyone thought possible. So let's do a case study. Let's have a specific band deconstruct their journey from formation to breakup to reunion. This is the history of Alexis on Fire. In their own words. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and I'm back with another episode in an occasional series called In Their Own Words. This is where we get a band in the studio and get them to go through their history themselves. In the past, we've heard from Kings of Leon, Our Lady Peace, Matt Good, Finger Eleven, Sloan, and a bunch of others. But I keep getting email from people asking, could you please do something with Alexis on Fire? Okay, yeah, great, sure. Uh, You do know they broke up, right? It's going to be kind of hard to make that happen when everyone is scattered to the wind. I mean, Dallas Green is off doing a city in color thing. Vocalist George Pettit became a firefighter. Wade McNeil is doing a bunch of stuff, including working as a radio DJ. Uh, Drummer Jordan Hastings is filling it with Billy Talent and playing in some other bands. And I'm not even sure where bass player Chris Steele is. Last I heard, he went for a trek in the Himalayas. And I'm serious about that. But then in early 2019, news of a serious reunion, along with new music. This was a chance to nail down this program. So, one afternoon, I managed to wrangle George and Dallas into a room where I got to pepper them with questions about everything to do with Alexis on Fire. Welcome back. Oh, no, wait. Let me, let me rephrase that. Welcome back? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good What? <laughs> I heard a couple of weeks ago, I saw the Instagram post, uh, and the internet melted down, something about a new Alexis on Fire something, mm-hmm. and it turns out that you have a new song, which we'll get to in just a minute, but the fact is, we have Alexis on Fire. Mm-hmm. What? Why? What happened? Well... Uh, we, we've been, you know, playing here and there for the last couple of years again, uh, which I think that all started just based on the fact that we, that we were, we were all still close. We all still enjoyed playing with each other. Um, I think it started with, we got one show off for a couple of years ago and it was just like, we were all available to do it. And, um, that's where it kind of started. Obviously, we had gone through the whole farewell thing, and I think we turned some stuff down too. There was yeah. some, there were some opportunities that came about that we kind of decided. Like, I think for a while there, I was holding our breakup quite 
closely to the chest. Like mm-hmm. I really liked it. I yeah. thought we broke up classily and like, yeah. and, and then it seemed, it seemed like coming back would undo that. So there was, there was like some time there where we were turning down offers and we were like, no, we're done. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I think it was just like the, the changing of the guard. You'd see the pressure from people. You'd see that they clearly wanted it. And, um, you know, we, all these offers came in to play these shows and I was just like, why am I doing this? Why am I holding yeah. this so closely? And like, why am I, why is it so precious that we broke up? I mean, uh, we all clearly still like each other and like, there's no animosity. Um, and we've all kind of landed firmly on our, you know, like we've, I think it was important for us to kind of step away from the band for a while too. Like, uh, you know, we were raised by that band grow up I would like Alexis on fire was like pretty much from high school until throughout our formative years mm-hmm. so just became there became no excuse for us to not play yeah that's really what it was you know we we decided to play one show and we played the show and played really well so there was there was really no excuse for us to to not be playing like we we, we thought we you know what I mean if we had played that show and we didn't talk to each other and we didn't play very well and we got a paycheck and we left, we wouldn't have done anything else. I know for sure I wouldn't have, but we played, we felt good about it. And then, you know, a couple of years went by where we were like, well, we'll go to Australia and do a tour. Sort of became like a vacation in a way where we would just meet and do this thing that we all love doing still. And then uh, probably around the summer of last year was I moved back to Toronto full time where were you? I, I had a house in Nashville for four years, and I spent most of my time off the road there. So I think maybe like just all of us being closer, we just decided to start having more like a regular kind of band practice here and there, which then led to us deciding to start trying to, you know, we're like if we're going to keep playing these shows sporadically, let's see if we can write let's a, do something write more a few, than yeah. nothing. Right? Well, yeah, you, know, like, you could have just <laughs> wrote it out playing show after show after show. Yeah like the Who or the Stones or somebody. Yeah. But at what point did you decide? I like to think of us as like the Who or the Stones. I think, I think we're, yeah, uh, yeah, clearly, no. clearly. No. If you, uh, you know, maybe yeah. a little bit up from there. But no. at what no. point did you decide that it was, okay, if we're going to do this, let's just be honest and start writing some songs? I think we both, I think we're all still quite current. I think, I think it's, I've seen it before where musicians, they get a certain degree of popularity and then they just, they just fall off the planet. They don't, un, they don't pay attention anymore. They don't know things that are going on and they, and they kind of lose touch with what's going on. I feel like we are capable of contributing still. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, if anything, we've gotten better at writing and better at listening to music. So, uh, yeah, why, what would stop us from doing that? Yeah. And also, but also, yes, I, I don't think I want, I don't want to play in a nostalgia act. I don't want to go out and just play the greatest hits all the time. I mean, it's, it, it is a lot of fun to do it, but I do feel like we can contribute. This is the song that announced the return of Alexis on Fire in early 2019. This is Familiar Drugs. Alexis on Fire with Familiar Drugs from February 2019, the first new material from the group in about six years, and the first song from what appears to be the second act of their career. But if we're really going to understand this second act business, we need to begin with the first act. So I had George and Dallas sit down and go through the story of Alexis on Fire, starting at the very beginning, 
We have a lot to talk about, and I want to get as much of our conversation into this program as possible. So, here we go. Let's go back to the very beginning of Alexis on Fire. What came, be- actually, let's go back to before the beginning. What came before that band? Uh, well, we were all in bands. We were all in different bands uh, around Niagara. Um, we all met from basically playing in those other bands. You so know? there were three bands, right? There was, well, if you count, well, if you count what uh, Jesse, our original drummer, he was in a different band as well, so four. Yeah. I would say, because Chris and, Chris and Wade were in the same band. They've been in the same band since they were there, 14 years there old. There was a lot of like, I remember being young and playing in three bands at the same time. Yeah. And there was a lot of incestuous sort of stuff going on within like, you know, the local music scene, people jumping around and stuff like that. But yeah, when, when Alexis started, I think there were probably, yeah, three or four different I, bands. I, I'm pretty sure the, the Wade's idea when he asked us all to jam at Jesse's house was that just we're all we all playing bands let's start another one you know what I mean Wade just took a bunch of people that were in different bands and just wanted to make another band kind of like what George just said and if you were if you were into music and you were going to local independent record stores at the time you know St. Catharines was a beautiful place to be Hamilton was a great place to be uh, you know even Oakville Toronto uh, you know, like these were, there were all these places in Southern Ontario that had these local scenes, 200 capacity clubs, 150 capacity clubs, uh, a lot of kid promoted shows, like people who are like in high school, they rent out a, uh, a Polish, a hall, Polish hall, Knights of Columbus hall, Masonic temples, like uh, Canadian auto workers, union hall. You could rent those out for a couple hundred bucks. You could borrow or steal a PA from your high school <laughs> and set it up on the floor get your local crummy bands to all pile in there, charge five bucks, make tickets. People were very, very, they had a lot of ingenuity back then. Wade was, Wade was one of those Wade kids. Wade was one of them, Wade yeah. could promote a show. Wade, at 15 years old, is negotiating, he's down at the Kingwa Court in St. <laughs> Catharines, which is a, 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 a Chinese food restaurant, and he would go in there and, uh, and he'd talk with them. They would, you know, they would pay the bands in beer, which was incredible because we were all underage. You played at a Chinese restaurant? Yeah. Played at, we played in an abandoned marina. <laughs> we played in, uh, oh yeah, anywhere that have us. Because that's it, yeah. you, could, you could do it anywhere. If you had a room yeah. and, a, and a plug, for the wall you could do it like yeah. right and that was because that's that all you the, needed you didn't yeah. wor- nobody was worried about what it sounded like or what it looked like or anything it was just can we do this oh yeah but yeah, Wade, was, Wade was I would say for St. Catharines in, in, in that like you know in that whole scene that George is talking about Wade was one of the first kids that we all knew that would what drove him he's just good at that side of things I mean our first bunch of tours our first bunch of real Alexis on fire tours Wade booked by meeting people on the internet like in chat rooms he, he, got, he, got, he met this kid who booked us our first American tour. I mean, we played, we, we went to all these crazy towns that no one ever heard of and nobody came. Yeah. <laughs> and, it was fun. But though. it was great. It was, yeah, and we lost just, a ton of money. Just and... by the fact that Wade met some kid who was willing to book a tour. But it's the same thing. Like when I used to be in a band and it was kind of falling apart, I remember asking Wade, because we had just played some shows together, and I said, Wade, are you booking any shows? Can my band get on some of your shows? like anything I'll play anything and he said well I'm actually going to uh, I don't have anything coming up but I'm going to st- I'm, I'm thinking about jamming with such and such and such and I was he's like do you want to do you want to come over to that jam and I said yeah that was our first band practice now Alexis has a 
a very distinct sound. And so we're talking, what is this, 2000, 2001? Yeah, yeah it would have been that when we first all met, it, would, it, was, it was like the summer of 2001, I, I think, maybe summer of 2000. Late 2000, uh, late and then, 2000, and it rolled over probably yeah. by the time we knew each other in 2000, and then yeah. So, who were you listening to that helped inform the Alexis on Fire sound? Well, because we were, emo was not a thing, screamo well, was not a thing. It, it, was, was, it was, it was, just, it was, it was all in these little pockets, and if you could find it, that was the thing too. If you were into that kind of music, you would you would do your best to find it and then you would find the people who were into it too oh yeah the and biggest bands that were playing the style of music that we were playing um were you know maybe they'd play at the cathedral downtown toronto mm -hmm. to 150 kids it wouldn't be sold out or whatever It'd just be like yeah. maybe if that you know you yeah. a lot of 80 person shows and stuff like that and and uh like when yeah. george and i met we met liam from the cancer bats in line at a Converge show? Probably, yeah. Right? Yeah. So did we not go? Was it was it a Converge? Remember, we were in line to go see some band. We drove, and that's where we met Liam, because that's when he was in Vincent Black Shadow. Vincent Black Shadow. Remember, and then we, we went, start talking. We went to, like, like, some, like, Elks Lodge to go see Vincent Black Shadow yeah. play one time. So, you, and it was, was just it, yeah. that, right? So, you just found the people that were into the same stuff as you. So, it was, it was all, we were all listening to sort of um give me some bands okay well we, we would and this is where the sort of amalgamation i think of sounds would come in like yeah you know i was definitely listening to stuff that was a bit more on the melodic side like no weird right <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you had you had uh -huh. like heavy metal chops as well and yeah. there were certain stuff that you expect like like None of us were listening to the Melvins. Right. You were listening to the Melvins, yeah, right? Or Converge. I was a big Converge yeah, guy Converge. Too, yeah, that Converge, I think we all kind of came to mm -hmm. together. I was kind of more the deep head, early first Screamo stuff, like uh, where I was listening to bands like Seisha, Love Lost But Not Forgotten, uh, page Joshua Fibber, Yeah, like Page that. 99. We, we eventually played with a band called Majority Rule. They were all these like uh, very, it looked like punk music. Mm -hmm. uh, the guys the guys who were at the shows they had like you know they'd be wearing like a hoodie with like patches all over it it was a lot of seven inches at the uh, back in the day when you'd go and see a show at a hall too there'd be um, vinyl distros people would come with bins of their own records and they'd set up like almost like a flea market and they'd sell records and that was how you're finding all this stuff and getting it right yeah, um, yeah so that was kind of the, the that was the introduction to that scene we all kind of came up I think through hardcore and punk rock and and stuff like that and this was just the next progression of that you know you have punk which turns into hardcore which turns into post-hardcore which becomes screamo and all that sort of weirdness right okay the name let's get uh, the definitive answer for the name it's alexis on fire it's i we will I'll give you teenagers. the definitive story i was yeah. i was uh we had we hadn't i think we had, had one band practice um so obviously we started to think about what we should call the band, you know? And I was at home, I was watching the Discovery Channel. There was a show on contortionism. And in one of the segments, they did a, a, a segment on a, a girl who's a stripper, who was also a contortionist, and she, amongst other things, which we would come to find out. But her name was Alexis Fire, and the segment was called Alexis on Fire. And I said, hey, that here's a neat band name. Because when you're making a band, you never think anyone is, well, unless you're Kanye or somebody who's just, you know, 
we you never think that anyone's going to actually hear your band <laughs> so you don't think you really don't think about the name at all especially yeah. a uh, contortionist stripper named alexis right. who may at one point somewhere down the line want to talk to you about correct that. yeah yeah there was there were some cease and desists which yeah. we ignored but, but, but before that it was a real i said it to everybody and everybody was like yeah that'll work yeah that's fine it that's was it totally was pretty yeah. much as quick as that i've played in bands with worse names believe it or not i think we all have we, i think we, we all, all have. i think it's a great name because <laughs> i don't think it, it is it, it, it conjures up all kinds of of imagery and i just like the fact that there's an x in it yeah it just yeah. sounds cool sure x. yeah and then we did ourselves a huge favor by just absolutely just for some stubborn bone in our all of our collective buys we just had to write it as one word so that for years still to this day people go alex is on fire no is it alex is on fire alex no, is alex on fire. Is, but that was us you know here is a sample from that first record the self-titled release that came out on halloween 2002 So you put together a bunch of songs, and at that same time, somebody is thinking about starting a new record label. Yeah. And that would become Distort. Yes. And they were looking for somebody to yeah. sign. Greg, the guy who, who ran Distort, he, was a, he loved aggressive music. and um, He was a show promoter in Toronto, too, yeah. at the time. He was yeah. like bringing through bands that we would have gone to see a lot. Like, yeah. You know, like, yeah, he would have booked the first, like, I don't know. Just, Henry Rollins or something yeah, like or that. He like loved, through, uh, like uh, you know, strapping young lad. He loved Devin Townsend and stuff like that. But so yeah, he was just he was a champion of of aggressive music, which um, you know, not a lot of people in the music business were or are. But so he happened to um, his day job was him. He he ran the production suite at the writing room at the old EMI Music Publishing Building. Okay, down at Adelaide and Spadina. So the guy who used to work, uh, who used to run EMI Music Publishing, Michael McCarty, we started, you know, he started talking to us just about, you know, whatever. And because we started kind of, I don't, I don't know if you want to say gaining some popularity, but we started playing a lot around town and he brought, um, he convinced Michael to come down to St. Catharines one night and, and see us play. I think we played at the Knack. Maybe that night. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember that too because I remember being all highfalutin about because we. I think we sold out the, the knack. Yeah, and the knack is like you know, the Niagara hundred people. Yeah. or something like that. And it was, and it was a big deal. For it us. was a big deal at the time. I remember feeling all big about it, and then I remember saying that I was like, "Hey, sold out show or whatever." And then McCarty said something like, "Next time you got to have a lineup out the door and people can't get in." Yeah, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. and I was like. Okay, all yeah. right. Big wig. Big chips. Yeah. Yeah, you're clearly from the music industry. But so we went out, I went out for a beer with him because I was the only one of age at that, at that <laughs> point. <laughs> I think true. George was still maybe 18 at the time. I might have been. Maybe, yeah. you, maybe you I were. I might have just maybe not you're gone G out. Yeah, but I might have been too punk. You might have been too punk. <laughs> I don't know. But so he ended up, uh, you know, I remember Joel, our, our longtime manager, me and him went and talked to him and we basically said we would, it was sort of like, we'll, we're willing to do anything it takes as long as it's on our terms, <laughs> you know, <laughs> snot nosed kids. Yeah, yeah. Which is still the way we do it. But, um, he just, I don't know. He saw something in us and gave us a, a small 
advance for a publishing deal, which is really ridiculous to think about a, a guy who ran a publishing company giving Alexis on Fire a publishing deal as if we're going to just get, you know, sinks oh my God. all over the place, you know? In the new Matthew Broderick film. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. That's not but, happening. But that allowed us to buy, buy, put a lease on a van and record our first record for free, basically, in that writing room after hours. The artwork for that first album, watch out. Yeah. One of my favorite pictures of all time with yeah. the two Catholic girls getting yeah. ready to go, to go into a knife fight. Do, yeah. Do you have a story about that? Because that is a great photograph. So when you make flyers for a show, back in the day, you'd always have like the name of the band and then underneath it in parentheses or whatever, we'd have a little little description of what the band was. And it was always something like, you know, crushing buffalo metalcore or like you know whatever yeah so we always would just they'd be like what do you want us to say under your name and we'd be like say we sound like two catholic schoolgirls in a knife fight and then because we we had a really bizarre pithy sort of sentence of humor back then and then when we came time to make the record we were like we should do that we should we should get photographs of two catholic schoolgirls in a knife fight yeah and then i actually i took the, all those photographs for that album we had our friend put it all together for us into uh, a CD, and it became yeah. It was it was really was iconic the girl, imagery the girl for closest a while. to the the girl that you do you see the knife in her hand. That's my that was my ex girl my girlfriend at the time. Mm -hmm. We just made her and her friend wear uh, Catholic high school because they were going to Catholic high school. Yes, and uh, yeah, they were still in high school. That's those were real deal were Catholic real Dennis school. Wow. Catholic we didn't rent those yeah. uh, costumes. They those were their Catholic schoolgirl yeah. outfits. And we like and breaking we any laws. I don't know. No, Probably but we we were we're in high school too. That's what we yeah. have access well, I to. I wasn't. You weren't. You're a creep. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm still legit. Yeah, I don't know. No. Uh, well, yeah, you were you were it. taking photos of them. I so was maybe, taking photos. Yeah, yeah I don't know. That so, was my like wormy way of trying to meet women when I was young. I think when I was like 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 teenager, I'm like, ooh, I'm a photographer. Isn't that interesting? Come over and I'll photograph you, and then I'll make you a mixtape. Yeah. <laughs> when we come back, we'll pick things up from the Watch Out album as we continue with Alexis on Fire in their own words. This is another in their own words edition of the ongoing history of new music. And this time, I made George Pettit and Dallas Green of Alexis on Fire go through the story of the band. And we're going to rejoin the conversation around the time the group released their second album, Watch Out. This isn't radio-friendly. Yeah. And you guys have never made any apologies for not being radio-friendly. No, I, I think the whole idea of us making that record or, make, or sounding the way we did was, again, same with them naming the band. Like, there was no delusions of grandeur whatsoever. I mean, there still aren't. I mean, this year's later, it was just, we wanted to be, we wanted to make music, you yeah, know? The top of the, the top of the heap would have been playing to 200 people at the cathedral downtown Toronto. Yeah. That was as big as the aspirations. We knew that playing this type of music was going to doom us to obscurity, like a lot of those bands. And that's just, but that's just the way it was. It didn't matter. Like it, it just didn't clock on our rate on our radar. Like the idea of being on the radio or being on much music or any of that stuff was just that's on Venus. Mm -hmm. You know, like yeah, we're, but it didn't quite turn out that way. Well, you know what? It took. But it they took, came around to us. It took right? exactly. Like, I was going to yeah. say it took people the the people that were closest to us. Um, it took them believing that it could be something more than what we thought it could be. 
So it took people like Joel and Trisha, our managers, and Greg for that matter, and Michael, seeing something in us and people along the way, George Strombolopoulos helping us from the beginning, like wearing our t-shirt on Much Music. And he brought us on Much Music before we had anything recorded. Yeah, so it, 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 was, it was a combination of, I guess, whatever the music we were making, but mixed with people from the get-go that were just willing to tell other people about it, as opposed to trying to make a radio song and hope that it would get played. It was just, we did what we did and we had some other good people in our corner. And then it just got to the point where everybody else had to start paying attention to us because kids were listening and yeah, they were like, we're doing this without you guys. So you can come on board or, and that, that was, that was really solidified by when much music used to have a show where people would call in and vote for their favorite video. And it was always like the popular song. But one, when we made our first music video one night, our song, our video got to number one. Which was that? It was pulmonary archery. It was our first first music video, and and that was really like that was the night where everybody was just like, well, I guess we have to. This is the one that won. We have to yeah. play at number one, and it was like that was sort of the moment where I think the music industry and the radio and all that were kind of like, well, f people like this band, and we're not doing anything about it. Well, here's the thing you about know? much music back in the day is that it linked a kid in St. John's, Newfoundland, mm -hmm. with a kid in Yellowknife. Yeah, and you could turn it on and see an Alexis on fire video and go, that sounds like I feel. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the it kid did the same thing for us. Exactly. Yeah. City limits. Like I'm not here if I didn't have city limits to watch and tape every night if I was going to sleep and then watch all the music videos that got played on city limits and find all these bands that I'd never heard of. And that, that, that's what I think, you know, you can do that now wherever you want on the internet, but, but it's not the same. It isn't the same. Because you know? I think with a band like Alexis on Fire, and we can debate this, but it's, it's more about connoisseurship than it is consumption. Sure. Because back then, before streaming, before you know, the internet, you had to seek out this stuff. And you f physically had to seek it out. You had to either go to the show, or you had to know somebody and get their record and listen to that record or that CD or whatever it was. It's not like you had 50, mil you had 50 million songs that you could get on your phone any second now. Right. You carefully curated that music that, like I said, sounded like you felt. Yeah, and you, I mean, you invested in it. And I think that something that we always try to make clear, too, is that, uh, you know, we we just happened to be the band that got the opportunity for that. Do you know what I mean? We were never, we never looked at ourselves like we were changing the game or we were, we were the best band doing this sound. We just happened to be the band that got that video and got, we had a bunch of open doors and that's a lot of it. And that's a lot of it for, there are, and that's, the aggravating thing about music in general is that you do have these incredible bands that either fall by the wayside or people forget about them or they don't they never make it to that level mm -hmm. and it's not for lack of hard work or talent it's just they were never in that right exact spot at the right exact time and and we just yeah we made lightning strike you know like we it it, it that's what happened with us. There are, and it happened, I mean, like, not to turn this into a rant about Canadian music, but 
We do. Like as a culture, I think we tend to prop up not necessarily the best of our culture. We, we, we prop up what's palatable and the big, you know, like, uh, and, and we tend to throw away the best stuff that we make as a culture. Yeah. Like, you know, like, uh, I don't know. So we, we were lucky in that we didn't fall through the cracks. But yeah, one, one turn, we play the wrong show. We don't meet Greg Below or Mike, Mike McCarty. Or we, you know, uh, you know, uh, our video fact grant ends up in the wrong table and the wrong place denied. gets yeah, denied. Yeah. Or any of those things doesn't happen. And yeah, you and I, you're not sitting here talking to us. Where does Billy Talent come into the picture? Well, I think really for us it was the, it was that was kind of the two the two bands where we both got that same opportunity around the exact same time, you know. And it was like that. It was the same. It was it was our it was the video coming out and that kind of sort of allowing the rest of Canada to see us because we had started to build our own little fan base in Niagara region because we would take every weekend and try and go and play wherever we could and. I think when the when Pulmonary started getting played across Canada, it was the same time Billy Talent and Try Honesty started clicking, and they started getting radio attention as, as well. And then we and did then a tour together, package together. Yeah, yeah, we went across Canada with Death from Above. Yeah, and and that was yeah that was where we got to see it every night, you know, because we had only played Southern Ontario really. Yeah, Quebec. We got to go back do some shows. But up so there. we got to go across Canada with Billy Talent and see these you know 500 600 cap this rooms. is around the watch out time right this no, no this, this is the first still the first record, record. Still so maybe record. 2002 three okay. maybe mm. and we saw that happen and it was it was like okay there's obviously uh, like there's a bunch of kids across this country who are looking for some 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 way into this aggressive music into this music where they can feel something than what they're being shown on the radio or excuse me shown on the tv or hearing on the radio and that was kind of a i think a big moment for us it gave us the, uh, the sort of spirit to then cross the border at the end of that tour <laughs> and go down literally play the croatian cultural center in vancouver with billy talent to a thousand people and it'd be one of the best nights of our life to then cross the border and go play in bellingham washington for no one. The bar staff. We played for the bar staff. I don't staff. even think I played the show. You didn't. I didn't. You I folded t-shirts because your voice was bothering yeah. you. <laughs> we played for the bar staff and that was, that was a good moment, you know? And we've had many moments like that throughout the years where you get, you get super stoked and then immediately it's pulled away from you and that's why you do never develop an ego. It's pretty good. <laughs> so we get to the, the third album and uh, at that point, <laughs> again, running the radio station at the time, and uh, you know, crisis comes in, and uh, we had a guy named Barry Taylor working mm -hmm. at the radio station at the time, who was a huge promoter of Alexis on Fire. He says, "You gotta, you can't, we can't ignore these guys anymore. We got to get them on the radio," and we ended up playing it. And other people in the company, you know, my boss specifically, like, "What are you? What are you doing? It's raining suicide." Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't because somehow this is 2000, 2004, 2005. Well, Crisis would have come out in two thousand six, so we probably would have been. But during that time, we were seeing the end of the spike in pop music. You know, the right. Backstreet yeah. Boys and the Instincts and Christina Aguilera's and Britney Spears and that group of people who had been into pop 
since the middle 90s with Spice Girls and whatever, they were now getting older. And they were getting angry. And they were looking for something that spoke to that anger and their fears and their frustrations. And you guys and Billy Talent and a few other bands were in the right place at the right time. And this, yeah. again, we can go back to, to My Chemical Romance. We can go back to you know, any of those, those, those emo bands that started becoming mainstream at that time. And it was huge. Yeah. Well, we, I remember we did, a, we did a long American tour with, uh, it was us, My Chem, and Avenged Sevenfold. But right before both those, like both of them have just signed their major label deals and both had made the records that would then propel them into superstardom. But it was the tour right before that. And I remember like them talking to those guys and they, you know, they had just spent a year, a year being courted by major labels and they had, were, <laughs> they were definitely talking like they had just been courted by major labels. But <laughs> yeah. it was like, you could kind of see this thing like, you know, we were like, wow, this is crazy. Like it's, you know, and then that was kind of when Island came in and signed Thrice and Thursday and this whole like, the entire music industry was looking for something else. Yeah. Yes. I remember like Cave-In was about to they, like, they, they got were, signed. They got signed and they were like, because of they Dave were Girl poised and, and ready yeah. to like be that neck. Oh my God. Who was the first, who was the first musicians to come out of that? Like, you know, Hydra Head, Equal Vision, yeah. you know, Vagrant Records thing. Like, who was going to be the first one to come out of there and be like, yeah. you know, and go to be playing on Letterman or yeah. something like that? It was, it was strange. And you, you saw it happen with all of, uh, all the bands in our, our scene in our area. Every band that was kind of doing something all got signed by the really big American indie labels. You know, Monine got signed by Vagrant. Uh, Silverstein got signed by Victory Records. Um, uh, who else was there? The End got signed by Relapse. Yeah. We got signed by Equal Vision. It was just like everybody was trying to look for something. And like you said, we, we just happened to be there when it was happening. And I think the other thing too that we don't give ourselves enough credit for is we had the resiliency and the drive to do something with every opportunity where we were given, you know? Because I think a lot of it is that is you get an open door it's what you do once you go through it, I think. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because a lot of the times you can just make the wrong decision or, or have something thrown in your face and just say, all right, I'm done with this. But, I, I will say this know? in full humble, in full humbleness. Uh, Alexis on fire f delivers. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes down to like the, the moment, like if we need to do something. Can, don't, can you hey, quote George on that, please? So, <laughs> no, no, but like it is. Like, <laughs> no, it's true. We, we, haven't, we haven't botched anything. Like, like yeah. we, we've been given opportunities. You play in the, the Much Music Video Awards. You get a gigantic stage to yourself. We, we do it. Yeah, We I know so. how to do it. And so that's, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no. We deliver. Fully, fully humble. Fully humble. Fully humble. I know. That was a joke. <laughs> On August 22, 2006, Alexis on Fire released their third album, and it went straight to number one on the Canadian album chart, selling more than 20,000 copies in its first seven days. Nobody in the industry saw that coming. We busted open some doors, and it allowed some other people well, there's, to There's no access. question you did. There is absolutely no question you did, because there was no one doing what you guys were doing at the level that you guys were at, having the amount of success that you were having, against all odds. See, I think... I think too, going back to what we were just talking about, I think if we had have felt that way back then, we wouldn't have continued to try to make better music or, or 
or outdoor ourselves. Like I think that it's a very Canadian humble thing. Well, you but know? I, I don't think. Yeah, I think it's, when we it's were, kind of a cutting your friends up sort of thing yeah. too. Yeah. I think anybody walks into the room with Alexis on fire, you got you feeling a little good about yourself. Yeah. Guess what? Yeah. <laughs> You're stepping into <laughs> you the got no chance. tank, my man. More from George and Dallas and Alexis on Fire in their own words in just a second. Remember what I said at the beginning about bands having a definite lifespan before things start to wither? Alexis on Fire was not immune to this. Let's pick up our conversation with George Pettit and Dallas Green. You've made a number one album without even trying. Well, we tried. Well, 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 tried. No, that's but no, I, know, I know what you're saying. I know yeah, how you're, yeah. Without trying to make a hit. Yeah. You just did everything on your own terms, and it turns out that your own terms was a hit. Our, yeah. our world at the time was the road, too, mm-hmm. especially before that. On Watch Out, so much touring, all this touring. We were thinking about the stage. Even when we were in the studio, we're writing songs with the stage in mind. When, I'm, when we're writing a song like, you know, uh, this could be anywhere in the world, we can, I can almost hear how the crowd is going to react to that. Because we'd got that on, on Watch Out. We had a song, you know, like we had a song like Accident, mm-hmm. which had a huge crowd participation. We had songs like Get Fighted, crowds clapping and, and singing along. Yeah. And you, you, that felt so good that, you know, you're making that with, we made, we made that in mind with Crisis. Yeah. And so, yeah, as much as we want to talk about how we were different and all that stuff, there was a pop sensibility to what we were doing, I think. Well, we, and we were getting were, better at it. Yeah, we were writing right? choruses. Yeah, and we, we were writing, you know, you know, like, we were writing things that you can imagine people singing back at you. Yeah. yeah. So we, we moved to the old Crows record, which, again, another massive success, and a lot of radio play for that record as well. Yeah. So this is the fourth album. Fourth? Yes. Yeah. Um, how did that record come together? Well, we spent a lot of time touring for Crisis, like two year, two years probably. Yeah. And then I was also doing City and Color pretty heavily at that yeah, when, time too. That was two thousand six. This was about two thousand six to two thousand eight. It was pretty much straight. You know, once that record came out, we were gone. Yeah, we did a lot. Um, so I think you know when we finished, when we stopped touring for that record, and I was kind of still touring a little bit on my whatever record came out in between that one and Old Crows. I think, and then we would, we had kind of not afforded ourselves enough time to take a break, but for what, for eight years straight, we had made a record, toured straight, came home, took a month, made a record, went back on the road. And then I was, I was doing that twofold. And so I needed, I know I needed some time to, to just stop. But I think we, we took a little bit more time putting the songs for Old Crows and Young Cardinals together. Yeah. But there were more um, choruses in that, on that record. Yeah, yes. we, yeah. We, I remember we had it down. We were recording demos in the, uh, in the, um, we were recording, yeah, we were in the jamming at the factory. Insulation Factory. Yeah. We were in the back, we had a back room rented at an Insulation Factory. In St. Um, Catharines. In St. Catharines. It's an actual we're probably insulation. All insulation. Getting make insulation yeah. We're probably all going to get mesothelioma, I think, at some at point. Some point. Yeah. yeah, there's a, there's a uh, class action lawsuit right now <laughs> yeah. going through. No, but uh, we did that, and, and yeah, we're recording demos of the songs and, and uh, really kind of chewing them up and thinking about them, dissecting them, self-editing a lot more. Um, 
And then there were changes. There were changes coming down the pipe. I was attempting to a different style of singing. Uh, and we continued that that process because I don't think any of our records sound the same. We've, we, we, we always wanted to kind of throw them a little curveball, try something a little different. And as much as it was a success, it was a step down from crisis. And I think that... In step down some, in what way? It just, I think until that po point, it was just step up after step up after step up. Like we were always making a little bit of progress. There was always something a little bit bigger coming down the pipe. And, uh, and we got used to that. And it came out, it, it wasn't number one. It did well. Uh, I think we did a tour on it. And it was the first time that we saw a bit of a drop that summer in ticket sales as well. Well, and in, in, some in ways, certain places. In certain places, yeah. yeah. In certain places, there was just like, we were used to this constant stream of like our own personal glory, I think. Anyway, I was. <laughs> and and uh, and when I remember it being almost a bit of a hit, that record, because we had tried to do this new thing. We knew it was going to be challenging. Uh, and, and, in, and it didn't like, it wasn't by any means a failure, but it did feel like we had hit the ceiling with, with, with crisis. And now we were taking a step down from that. And that was, that took some processing after, after touring for, you know, you tour for 10 months out of the year, a couple of years in a row, you know, like that, it just, it puts the, the doubt in your mind almost, I think. And that, that's, I think that was seeding the, what was about to happen. We had done well in all these different places in the world, but America, we were always, it was always sort of really, we seemed very distant from what was popular there. And I think we were fine with it. It was just maybe like curiosity got the best of us. So we tried to like hammer it a couple of times. And I remember like during that war, doing that full warp tour was easily could have broke the band. It up. was a disaster doing that. And then we did a couple um, of long, really long, American tours that were just really unfulfilling. When you're touring all year, it's hard. When you're touring all year and only 60% of the shows are good, it's hard. When you tour all year and maybe 40% of the shows are good and you spend six months touring a place that just is not working, it kills you. There was a fifth album. What happened to it? Well, there the fifth... I guess Dog's Blood, when we started writing the songs for the Dog's Blood EP, which would come out after Old Crows, we started writing those songs, and then that's kind of when I had made the decision to leave the band. So that sort of obviously stopped the writing process. And yeah, we did we have kinda... these four songs that we, we liked, and I, I said to the guys, you know, like, I, I want to finish this, just like I wanted to finish the, the, the year of touring. So... That was kind of, that's really the story, is that there, we were starting to write new songs and then I, I left the band. Yeah, and then I think we had attempted, we attempted writing without Dallas for a heartbeat where we were like, okay, well, we can keep, we'll keep going. And, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't necessarily, I don't think that that was going extremely well. Uh, I mean, we were coming up with songs, but it wasn't, 
it wasn't uh, like it wasn't Alexis on fire and we were just like okay well maybe instead of us coming back and doing this bastardized version of the thing maybe it's time we lay this down and and stop it and Wade Wade had a the opportunity to join the gallows so he went and did that and and we all went our separate ways and but it, was, was, it was amicable yeah, I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it like was to a degree. Good. Obviously, when I, I think quit it the took, band, every, nobody was stoked about that. I think it took time. It took time, and and to to Dal, and to your credit, Dallas, like you could have, <laughs> you probably should have left Alexis on fire four years earlier. No, I think I didn't I, want to. No, I know you didn't want Everybody to. Everybody can say that, but I, no, that's but, the thing. Nobody, look, nobody, under, nobody understands that I didn't leave the band because I wanted solo success. I left the band solely because I had creatively, I wanted to do something else. Absolutely. And that's it. So Absolutely. if I, but if look, I could have stayed hey man, in both, they would, I'm telling I you right now. I'm doing it again. I'm back. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm doing TV shows at the time. Yeah, I know. My TV career takes off. You're gone. I might have been out the door. Yeah, no, I understand that. Wade, if the Black Lungs takes yeah, off. Yeah, I understand that. Wade might be out the door. Yeah. Like that's, like we'd been... Like you probably and and City and Color had eclipsed Alexis on Fire at that point, and it made yeah it made sense. Like I'm sure you had people in your life who were just like, "What the f- are you doing? No, go and do City and Color." I will please. say this on a, on a closing note again. I will say this: the proof of the of the matter of of that is whenever I tried to pick up a guitar in that area in that era, I couldn't write any more aggressive stuff. It just wasn't coming. And for me, the way I've always done things, I don't never force anything. I never make a record just because it's time to make one. I have to have the songs. And I just couldn't see myself writing songs. And then I knew that if I did stay, I would have been forcing it and it wouldn't have been good, at least on my point. But I did always say all these years that I haven't been doing it, people would be like, you know, oh, you distanced yourself from heavy music stuff. I said, no. If I write a riff, if I, if I come up with something that, like if I want to play heavy music again and it's there, I know four guys who I can do it really well with. And that's it. And another thing, like now that the dust is settled too, I mean like the breakup was the best thing to happen to all of us. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really was. That's why we're here doing it. It's why we're here doing it now. And also like, yeah, just our lives profoundly changed. Every single one of us found something else mm-hmm. and that became, and we needed it. We needed that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Yeah, there's no. So thank you. Thank you for leaving Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) And now the point in the story that features the joyful reunion. I think we all needed to take a break from it so it didn't get us to the point where we were at each other's throats and never wanted to speak to each other again because people don't a lot of people and i'm not saying woe is us but you know it's very hard to be in a band forever and to do it well for a long period of time it's it gets it gets difficult to live like that you know especially like yeah 23 year old george bowling around in the world playing rock shows every night, jumping off the stage is one thing. I'm still kind of doing that, just less and less. Yeah. But now, you know, you have family involved. 
you have aspirations outside of music you do things like that you know i mean i've got a son yeah. and and a wife and a house that that those are important things to me you know and the idea of i wouldn't want to go back to 10 months out of the year on the road i don't it's not that's not important to me yeah but i do but it's also like i do still want to play yeah. and that's that's not going away and once in a while you kind of think it is and then all of a sudden you're standing at the side of the stage and there's like 10,000 people that want to see you and you step out there and it all just comes rushing back. Like we've carved this neural pathway through our brains through 12 years of playing music stage every night, you know, and it just comes back like that, like a, like a, like a snap, mm -hmm. you know? So I don't know. I, I'm glad we're still doing it and I'm glad I hope, Hope I still get to do this, this in in the capacity that we're doing it. You know, and see all that time in the van <laughs> has set everything up for today, so you can do things on your own terms. Yeah, precisely. And we and yeah, and we're very we're very cognizant of that and uh, appreciative of it as well. You know, I, me personally, you know, like it, it, I was very very happy to be able to come back to the band mm. and play because, you know, from the day when I said to everybody I'm going to leave you know there was a part of me that thought that might be the end of this you know what I mean like mm. so for me personally to be able to think about all the time that we spent doing it and to be able to sit in a room and with my my friends and still write a tune that we think you know that jazzes us all and then we get to go and play it for people <laughs> and they're jazzed and it's a great it's a great feeling, you know. Before we wrap up, I want to thank George and Dallas and everybody associated with the Alexis on Fire camp who made it possible for this interview. It's always really, really difficult to get people in the same place at the same time to hold these kinds of conversations, and I'm glad we were able to get it done. This program is available as a podcast. If you want more, just go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of podcasts available for free. Just download and go. And if you can, please rate, review, and share. That really helps us a lot. If you're looking for more information about a variety of things, there's my website, which is a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. It's updated every day. And to remind you of the daily updates, there is the daily newsletter. It's free, too. You can sign up at the website. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And email should go to alan at alancross.ca. So pick your connection point. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. Talk to you next time. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.